Thank you for joining us today on Drawing Near. This podcast is designed to help us draw near to God through the study and application of His Word. If you have any questions or comments about today's study, or spiritual things in general, feel free to contact me through my email address in the description section of this podcast. Earlier in our study, the Lord Jesus sent His disciples out to heal, cast out demons, and proclaim the kingdom of God. But before He sent them, He gave them the power that was necessary to do all that He commanded. Today on Drawing Near, we witness the disciples' failure to cast out a demon. Please, Take your Bible and open it to Luke chapter 9 as we study Faith and Failure. And as we prepare for today's study, let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we come before you today, we recognize that we can only know you through faith, and we can only experience all that you desire us to through faith. Our spiritual growth requires faith as we seek to follow Christ, producing spiritual fruit requires faith and cooperation with the Holy Spirit. And Father, it requires faith for us to study your word and apply these truths to our lives. And to live each moment of every day faithful to you requires faith. Help us to see, Father, that faith doesn't always succeed. But help us to understand, Father, that at times our faith wanes and then we fail. We do not do all that you call us to do. Father, give us wisdom as we study your word today. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Let's begin reading in Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 37. Now it happened on the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, that a great multitude met him. Suddenly, a man from the multitude cried out, saying, Teacher, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. And behold, a spirit seizes him. And he suddenly cries out. It convulses him so that he foams at the mouth, and it departs from him with great difficulty, bruising him. So I implored your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down and convulsed him. Then Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the child, and gave him back to his father. If you recall, in the verses prior to this, Jesus had just experienced what we call the transfiguration. He and Peter, James, and John had been up on the mountain when Moses and Elijah had been with Jesus, the father had spoken, and Jesus had been transfigured. He radiated and reflected the glory of God. But we're told in verse 37, that on the next day, after he had come down from the mountain, that he was met by this great multitude. And we're told that while he's dealing with the multitude or walking amongst the multitude, a man from outside of the multitude cried out saying, Teacher, I beg you, I implore you, look on my son, for he is my only child. And he explains that the child was demon-possessed. He was possessed by a spirit, and the child would suddenly cry out, convulse, foam at the mouth, And then the demon would depart from him or withdraw and stop afflicting him. When the demon backed away or departed or withdrew, he caused the child harm. The end of verse 39, bruising him. The man explains that he had begged the disciples to cast it out, maybe while Jesus was up on the mountain 
The other nine disciples could not do this, for the man says, but they could not. In verse 41, we see this unique situation. We don't know how unique it actually was. We just know it's unique in the scriptures. Jesus may have responded at various times this way when his words were not recorded in scripture. It says, he answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. This situation is filled with emotion. There's a lot of emotion around Jesus anyway. A lot of excitement, a lot of desire for Jesus to do things for them, whether it's teaching or healing. There's a lot of commotion, so there's a lot of emotion, a lot of energy. Jesus has just come down from the mountain and has had a true spiritual glorious experience. And as he comes down and departs that glorious experience and enters among the crowd of humanity, he enters into a situation where a man is desperate. He has seen his son suffer horribly in a way that very few of us have really witnessed. And there didn't seem to be any hope. There wasn't any medical treatment for this. The child was filled with the Spirit, and he was suffering horribly. And the man was desperate because he was afraid he was going to lose his only child. Not only is there that emotion, the emotion of the transition from the mountaintop to the people, this man's desperation, but there's also this sense of failure that is looming around the disciples. As he explains what's going on, there's no doubt in my mind that the disciples are concerned. They had tried to cast this demon out. They had tried, probably in the midst of the crowd, to answer this man's plea, this man's request, and they could not do it. So they had failed. And then Jesus, and I don't know what emotion we use here. It's very, very dangerous to attribute to Jesus emotion that the Bible doesn't define. Is he frustrated? Is he concerned? Is he emotionless? Jesus was not an emotionless individual. He was filled with emotion. He was a man of sorrow, acquainted with grief. He wept. He talked with these disciples. Many preachers teach that Jesus laughed and had a great sense of humor. I don't know. You have to read between the lines to get to that point. But Jesus' response in verse 41 is not what we typically see. That doesn't mean he didn't do it all the time. It doesn't mean that he was having a bad day. Jesus simply sees the situation and assesses it with an emotion I don't want to describe. You can think about it and ponder it. We know this. Whatever emotion it was, it was not sinful. He says, O faithless and perverse generation. He's calling them an unbelieving and perverse generation. Now, in part, he's talking to the disciples. Why? Because they had failed to cast out this demon. The people hadn't exhibited anything that might call them faithless or perverse at least in this passage of Scripture. We don't see it. So the only failure we see is the failure of the disciples. Jesus sometimes is very, very direct with the disciples, and sometimes it seems a little strong. But it's not strong at all. Jesus has high expectations for his disciples. They enjoy a privileged relationship with him, and therefore the standard is very, very high. They must learn, they must grow, 
so at times they must be rebuked. And so Jesus, as Lord and Master, rebukes the disciples, the crowd, because he doesn't just mention the disciples, he mentions generation, of whom the disciples are a part, and he calls them faithless and perverse. It seems that the failure to cast out this demon was a result of a lack of faith and carnality, a lack of understanding, a lack of spiritual fellowship or attunement. We don't really understand. We do know that the generation that Jesus walked in was faithless and perverse. Jesus came to his own people and they did not recognize them. He came into the world that he created and was not accepted. So we know that there was a faithless and perverse generation, and there still is. But notice the last phrase. He says, how long shall I be with you and bear with you? Now we know Jesus is going to the cross. He's not far away from going to the cross. In the next passage, he prophesies about his coming death. He seems to be coming weary of this process, of this journey. His flesh, his humanity is kind of getting tired. How long will I be with you and bear with you? Jesus is putting up with people in this world. He is all God and all man, and he seems to be frustrated here, frustrated and yet again not sinful. This is interesting to ponder. It's interesting to ponder in the nature of Christ, to ponder these words, to ponder the emotion, to ponder the situation, but it's also important to ponder, can we be frustrated and not sin? Can we be dealing with individuals and be exasperated? We can be like Jesus, be tempted and yet not sin. Not all negative emotion is sinful, but we need to understand it and analyze it. And this passage brings this kind of a question directly to the forefront. He says, bring your son here. And as he was still coming, the demon threw him down, and convulsed him. In other words, it seems that the demon does a last-ditch effort on this boy. So while he's coming to Jesus, while they're bringing him to Jesus, the demon acts up, throws him down, and convulses the boy. Then Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit. This is the second rebuke. He rebukes the faithless and perverse generation. How long shall I be with you and bear with you? Now he rebukes the unclean spirit. Jesus as Lord is completely within his right and has the authority to rebuke anyone other than God the Father and the Holy Spirit. He rebukes the unclean spirit and heals the child and gives him back to the Father. What an amazing thing. In the midst of this multitude, the Father cries out to the Lord Jesus in desperation. He exposes the disciples' failure. Jesus rebukes the disciples And then he rebukes the unclean spirit and heals the child and restores him back to his father. In a nutshell, this is what Jesus does. This is what the gospel does. The gospel is a gospel of restoring, of giving back. Trusting in Jesus gives us back the life God intended us to have. It takes the unclean, the ungodly, the sin in our lives, and takes it away covers it with the blood of Jesus, frees us from the chains and bonds that we, like this child, can live free from the bondage of sin going forward. That's an important statement, especially in light of our study yesterday, 
the study that dealt with deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. We are to, once freed from that which is unclean, freed from the sin that enslaved us and held us in chains, once we're free, we're not to walk in that bondage any longer. And so the gospel restores. Jesus restores. The truth restores when believed by faith. One last thing. We will fail. The disciples failed here. We are still human. We still struggle. We need to be willing to be humbled, to be rebuked, to have our failure addressed by the Holy Spirit, by God's Word, even by people around us who know us and understand the things of God. We need to be willing to be corrected so that we can be corrected, so that we can grow. We can become more faithful, filled with faith and understanding. Unfortunately, many of us don't want to be corrected by anybody. That pride stands in the way of our growth, and that's a serious concern. Don't let that be the case with you. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Thank you for this passage and the deep richness that's within this passage. I thank you for a man who's been long gone, a man who this day had joy, who rejoiced in the fact that his son, who was lost to him, was restored to him. What a blessing. We see this over and over and over again in the Holy Scriptures. We thank you, our one true God, for your grace and mercy, and for bearing with us, for being patient with us in all of our faithlessness and all of our perversities. Not approving of it, not passing over it, but forgiving it when we confess and when we repent, and restoring us to the right fellowship with you that we desire and that you desire. Thank you for this. Guide and direct us as we go forward today. Help us to be people of faith and holiness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for studying with us today. You can subscribe to these podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, or the Facebook page Drawing Near. Drawing Near is a ministry of FBC Tip City, provided with the hope that we will draw near to God and He will draw near to us.